Good morning. Welcome to Memorial United Methodist. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the minister here at Memorial, and we're so grateful that you're here. If you're a guest today, uh, we're glad to have you, whether you're short-term or whether you're long-term. We're grateful that you came to worship with us. I understand that we are short on bulletins, which is goofy, um, but that's the, that's the way it's happened today. So today, if your family has more than one bulletin, if you'll raise your hand, and our ushers will come get that bulletin, and if you need a bulletin, raise your hand without a bulletin in it, and it will be handed to you. I want to make sure that you get that. Thank you, ushers. Thank you, people willing to share your bulletins. Reese Hannon, come on in here, bud. Grab bulletins that are up in the air and hand them to people that need bulletins. We're so grateful that y'all are here. It looks like we're good. Now we're okay. Thank y'all. So grateful that y'all are here and uh, uh, want to worship the Lord in this service on Easter Sunday. A um, couple things. We have an exploring membership class every first Sunday of the month. We meet in the social hall, which is between the sanctuary and the family life center, which is the big gym. And we meet at 10 o'clock. And we encourage you to come. If you are anywhere from this is my first Sunday to I've recently joined the church so that we can see some friendly faces uh, interacting with one another. I've been teaching the confirmation class for eight weeks, and two of those weeks have been with a newcomer's class, and so they've seen me teach that class two times, and so next week, the confirmation class is going to help me teach our newcomer's class uh, to our newcomers, and so that is not something to be missed. Uh, you'll see things that we treasure uh, in our church, things that are significant about the United Methodist Church, what we're trying to do here at Memorial uh, in five really important uh, different areas. Um, confirmation continued today, as I mentioned, and two weeks from this weekend, we start a week, two weeks from this past Friday, we go to Lake Junaluska. Encourage you to be praying for our confirmation class as we travel for our confirmation retreat. And um, I believe that's it. I'm going to uh, New York with my in-laws and my family tomorrow morning. And the good news is we have, do you know how many retired clergy we have in this congregation? this many. We have nine retired clergy in this congregation. Um, and those nine, I think, can cover the same amount of ground that I cover uh, by myself. It's not true. It's not true. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> um, so those nine are going to help me out. And if you have a pastoral care emergency, if you'll make sure that you uh, call the church office, leave a message with Beth, email Beth, and Beth will find the appropriate retired clergy member that will come and cover that for you. Um, so let's uh, begin our worship service.
Please stand as you're able and join us in our first hymn, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed within mind what day this is today and what has happened. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'm going to ask that you remain standing for the lighting of the Paschal candle. I'm going to invite an acolyte to come and light the candle. And if you'll join me in the liturgy found in your bulletin. light of Christ rises in glory, overwhelming the darkness of sin and death. Let us pray together. God of life, through Jesus Christ, you have bestowed upon the world the light of life. Sanctify this new fire and grant that our hearts and minds may also be kindled with holy desire to shine forth with the brightness of Christ rising. Amen. You may be seated. And now I invite the children to come forward. Miss Marjorie is always a treat. on an Easter egg hunt this week? Some of you? How many plan to have one today? Yeah, because today is what? Easter. Easter, exactly right. You know, years ago, children had to hide real eggs. Their mothers had to buy real eggs, cook the eggs, pat them dry so they wouldn't have spots on them, fill up jars of water, warm water, put dye in them, try to get colors. Then they had a little wire piece. They dipped the egg down in there and had to let that dry. Then you'd go hide the eggs, and sometimes you'd step on one and smash it because it was real. There was just a Several days later, your dog would find an egg out there. So, you know, that was just a mess. Nowadays, at Easter time, your mother can go to the store, and she can buy a bag full of beautiful eggs that are just the perfect color. And what are they made of? Plastic, exactly right. Doesn't matter if you step on those, and the dog doesn't want them, does he? Not your plastic ones, usually. Well, I'm going to use four plastic eggs to tell the real story of Easter. You think I can do that? Sure we can. All right, let's think about the first plastic egg. What do you see on this egg? A cross. And if I open this egg, I have inside a little cross. Have you seen the great big wooden cross over on that side of the church? Yeah. Well, that's the kind of cross I'm going to be talking about with this first egg. You see, Jesus carried a big cross like this big wooden one on his back up a hill and that wasn't easy. That was very heavy. But he did it for a reason. Do you know the reason that he did that? 
forgive us our sins. Say it out loud. To forgive us of our sins. Yes, he took all of our sins with him when he carried that heavy cross. He took our sins as well. And you're so right. To save us from our sins. That's egg number one. And what was in that one? The cross. Okay. The second egg says... God is love. And let's see what this one has. And what do you think it might have? A heart. Well, that would stand for love. That's true. But it has three small nails. Well, now, if you look at that big cross over there, these little nails wouldn't go very far in there, would they? So we're talking about great big nails. Why do you think there were three and your hand was up first? Tell me out loud, please. That's exactly right. They were the nails that were that were driven into Jesus's hands too. There are two for the hands. They made Jesus lie down on that cross after he carried it up a hill. They made him lie on that cross and they put one nail in this hand, one nail. Stretch your arms out for a minute. Now think about that. They drove a nail in this hand to the cross, that hand to the cross. Well, there was one nail left. He has two feet, so what do you think they did? Show me with your hands how you think they fixed his feet. They crossed his feet like this and put the third nail in his feet. And he did all of this again. Why? To save us from, from our sins. That's exactly right. And then as, when they finished nailing him to the cross, they, it took a lot of men, but they lifted him up so that everybody could see him hanging from the cross. And that was on a Friday. What do we call that Friday? Good Friday. Good Friday, exactly right. It's not good when we think about the death, but it is good because you have told me more than once, he died for us, and it's good for us, right, that we know the right story. And so when they, he died, he suffered and died on that cross, and when they took him down, they were going to bury him. And they buried him in something that they called, exactly right, a tomb. And a tomb to us would be like a cave, maybe. It's a big, wide opening. And they need, when they put Jesus inside the tomb, they needed something to cover it. Okay, they covered him with a, a cloth. And on the outside, to close his grave, they used... We call them a rock. You're saying a boulder. They called it a stone. But this is just a little stone to fit inside this egg. We're talking about a huge stone to cover the inside or the outside of that grave. Really big stone. Yeah, exactly right. So that... You know, nobody could go and push that stone. It took so many men to, to put Jesus inside and to put that stone and that, uh, as you're calling it, a boulder in front of that. Well, on Sunday, two women were going down to visit Jesus' grave. And they, were, they took some spices and they were going to put them inside the grave so that it would be nice and clean smelling. But when they got close to the grave, what do you think about that stone? It was moved. Okay. So my last egg says... He is risen. So what's going to be inside this stone? That's exactly right. There's nothing there because Christ has risen, just like he said he would. He said, I'm going to stay on earth for a while, but then I'm going to rise again and go to heaven to be with my heavenly Father who is God. Exactly right. And that's exactly what happened. So today when you think about Easter, you're going to have a good time hunting eggs and being with family. But think about those four eggs. The first one was what? The cross. The second one was three nails. The third one was, yeah, what was in that? that egg? 
No, the last one is nothing. The third one covered the grave. It was a stone. Okay, and the last one was nothing because Christ has risen. All right, let me count you for a moment. Um, <laughs> I think he's had enough. Okay, um, when we finish... You can have, I think there's enough that you can each have a pack of jelly beans and a plastic egg with a little goodie in it after we have our prayer. Uh, your mothers may want you to wait until after lunch to eat some of that, so check with them first, okay? Will you do that? Oh, let's bow your heads for our prayer, please. We thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Thank you, God and Jesus, that this does not end with Jesus' death, but thank you that we serve a risen Savior. Amen.
first scripture lesson comes from Psalm 118, 14 through 24. It can be found on pages 956 to 957. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day and let us rejoice today and be glad. The word of God for the people of God. As we go together in prayer, we're asked to remember uh, Tom Hammond. Tom is at Pelham Medical Center and uh, um, has a number of things that are competing to be the difficult thing uh, that he has to overcome. Uh, that family has an uphill battle and they would appreciate your love and support and prayers for them. And if you'll remember Heath Dobson and his family, Heath Dobson lost his son uh, who lives in New York, uh, was only 41. And uh, that family will be traveling uh, a good bit in the weeks to come, and they would appreciate your love and support. Let us pray together. Lord, your creation has so many wonderful, beautiful, life-altering things that make us smile. But this creation has sickness, long-term illness, and even death as well. And as we ponder our loved ones mentioned and those that are in our hearts and minds, we ask that you help us as agents of your mercy and grace to reach out to those who are suffering and to declare to them that your Son is risen, that we are present, that love abounds even amongst that sickness. And as we read this significant text today, as we try to interpret as if we were there, the confusing messages of the present and the future and how they were all connected to the past, we ask that you give us focus. A story that we read once a year that we feel familiar with, help us, Lord, to remain entirely focused on every aspect of it that we can hear it anew this day. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our tithes and other offerings. I always encourage you to pay attention uh, to our numbers that are in the bulletin. We're having a tremendous year thanks to your generosity, and we are grateful for that. And visitors, if, as we pass the attendance register by, if you're willing to give us some sort of contact information, we will do our best to reach, reach out to you in the coming weeks and invite you to come again.
be seated. Let me explain something very important before we start. If you have a baby or a toddler here today, people know what babies and toddlers do, okay? They do this, and they paw, and they uh, uh, scream, and they do whatever. Let them do it. I mean, you can try to restrain them a little bit, but we're grateful that you made the commitment to bringing them here today. And we're, um, Jesus never said, here's a child. Um, in 25 years, this child will be significant to the church. He said, right now. This child is significant right now. So if your child is in the church today, we're grateful. And um, you do your best. That's all you can do. And we love you right there um, where you are. The gospel lesson today is John chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'll continue to use the Bible, so if you'd like to read along, if you want to leave it open in your lap. First phrase I want you to note is, while it was still dark. This is a double entendre, if not a triple entendre. Number one, it is actually dark. You know, those people that get up and start moving before all of us get up and start moving, and they get out there before the sun comes up, there's a certain silence to that darkness. There's a certain peacefulness to that darkness. No one is asking for anything in that darkness while you walk or while you run or while you sit in a chair and drink coffee, whatever it is you may be doing, it's dark and it's very quiet. But there's a second level to it. The author of John will frequently, throughout the gospel, talk about the darkness and the light. And a constant battle between the two in terms of what is said and what is done. And so in this moment... Jesus has been crucified, he's been placed in the tomb, and anyone that wanted to eliminate anything he was doing has done it. And guess what? Anybody who's following him, we're coming for you next. So right now, while it's still dark, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. And there's just the beginning of total confusion. Deep sadness and devotion on her part regretting the fact that they couldn't prepare the place like they wanted to two days ago, is now replaced by confusion and fear. Where is he? Someone has uh, intended to harm us even more by taking him. I'm wondering when she goes back if she whispers it or if she screams it to the people there. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. This sparks an immediate reaction from Peter because that's what Peter does. He reacts very quickly. And Peter and the other disciple, who it's suggested is the one that wrote this gospel, who I love over and over says, the one Jesus loved. They go bolting towards the tomb. I don't know how far a run it is. But they're running in verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had, been, who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed." They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Were they walking? Were they running? What were they doing? Whatever they were doing, they were just going back. I guess we can just go back. That's all, that's all there is to do. These two men who had followed Jesus this entire time, who had heard Jesus in very high moments of ministry and somewhat low moments of ministry say, we're going to have to go to Jerusalem. Nobody's going to like what we have to say. They're going to put me on trial there. That trial will inevitably end in crucifixion. 
when I'm dead, I'll be placed in a tomb. And then when I'm placed in that tomb, one day I won't be there. And they say, what? What? No, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. Which one of us do you think is the best one? Which one of us is the best disciple? On Monday, Thursday, we talked about Jesus sitting at the table and saying to them, somebody here is going to turn me in. And they all look at one another like, who's the worst one among us? And then that immediately turns into conversation, who's the greatest among us? Back and forth. And so they represent human beings' struggle of just living in these two polar opposites. Which one of us is greatest? Which one of us is the worst? I can't remember what Jesus said. Now he's no longer here. What are we supposed to do? Confusion. Peter is often fearless. That's why he gets in there first, even though I guess he's not a very, didn't have a great 40 time. But he goes in there first and wonders, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he says, goes in there second and believes. Interesting that it points out they still didn't understand Scripture and he believed. Peter is impulsive and struggles to pay attention and retain information. Does anyone identify with that sort of behavior? You know, like if you were in a chemistry class for eight months in college and there were times when the professor said, here's a really critical thing that you need to know. And right when that happened, your phone buzzed. And you know, like when your phone buzzes, you got to look. Whatever's on the phone is infinitely more critical than whatever this person who's standing here could say. In fact, if you were with someone else and that person buzzed you, then you would be more inclined to look at what they were saying than the person that you were with. And here it is now, test time, and you're having to recall the thing that was said back in October that was really, really important, and you can't remember. And when you can't remember, you can't put it all together quite like you hoped to, and you just throw something on there and uh, let's see if we can get partial credit. That's the way disciples are feeling in this moment, confusion. Then it goes back to Mary. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize it was Jesus. This is one of multiple times after the resurrection when people will truly struggle to understand who He is. Is it based on the fact that He looks different or is it based on the fact that your mind is so convinced that He's gone that no one could be Him or some combination of the two? But these two angels are there. And it reminds me of the beginning of Luke when Zechariah, the priest, he went in. He was going into the temple to do a very significant thing, a very significant act of worship, but a routine act of worship. And in that routine act of worship, there was an angel there. And he said, you who haven't had a child, you're going to have one. You know what Zechariah says? Well, um, what proof can you give me? I don't know. I'm an angel. Will that do? By the way, you're not going to talk until he's born and your wife says something. How many of you would be excited that the husband could not speak until you say so? Two angels are there again. And I don't know if, she, if, if they're not uh, clearly distinct. It says in the other gospel, they shone uh, very brightly white. This one does not. Were they plain clothes? Did they look like normal people? But in that moment... She didn't get it either. Someone has taken him. In fact, Jesus is right there and she says, oh, I don't know who this is. She didn't realize it was him. Verse 15, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. So two words, gardener and teacher. Fascinating that that's what she thought he was. Because what happened in the Garden of Eden? 
The first people that are mentioned in the Bible are given a tremendous opportunity in a tremendous place and given many, many wide boundaries, but one you're, supposed to not, to, you're not supposed to do. And they struggled with that. I need you not to do this. They struggled with that. And when they did it, they lied. And when they lied, they were in trouble. And when they were in trouble, they were cast out of the garden. There's multiple parables in the Gospels where Jesus is trying to get across a message to the people using agriculture and He says, think about a person who has a garden, who creates it all, who hands it over to other people, and those other people, when they work there just a little while, figure, hey, this is our garden. Who are you to come collect money from us? Who are you to come collect produce from us? This is our garden. You know, the one you created. So now Jesus who stood in the garden in the Kidron Valley looking up at the wall at Jerusalem right before he went in. And he said, Lord, if you can let this cup pass from me, I would really appreciate it. But then what? But your will be done. This gardener knows the purpose of the garden and lives it out entirely. But then she screams out, Teacher! Which is also significant. Time after time, again, people were taught by Jesus something amazing, some new revelation in the text. You know, our New Testament is this much. This was their Bible. This was their holy text. And Jesus consistently unpacked this holy text in new ways that helped them understand. Now some people thought, wow, that's amazing. I didn't think of it that way. And some people thought, I don't like anything you're saying and you need to be eliminated based on what you're saying about this text. But he was a teacher. He used images in their life to um, convey significant concepts. You see how in the children's sermon, we repeat it, we want to make sure you understand it, we want to make sure you retain it, we want to make sure that you can live it out. Teachers, make sure that you understand. She recognizes it's him, and he immediately says something in verse 17. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she said. I bet she's screaming this down. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. So the phrase I want you to pay attention to there is something that really stuck out to me this year, which is, go instead to my brothers. He really wants to emphasize that they go somewhere else and tell someone else. Go back and look how many times in the gospel when Jesus reaches out to someone who was on the outside for any reason and he healed them, taught them, loved them, included them, and those people immediately did what? Went out and told somebody about it. Of course, the people on the inside of the church, he reinterpreted, he refocused, and then what they do? They went and told each other, What? Can you believe what he said? We got to get rid of him. He says, Look. Do not hang on to me. You know why he has to say that? Because human beings want you to stay. Human beings want you to stay right here so that I can tell you my entire story so that you can fix anything if anything comes along. And I need you to be here. I don't need you to go out and fix anybody. Just stay here. They also like to stay with their own kind. Their own people. Their own nation. Their own church. Their own denomination. Their own family. He says, go instead to my brothers out there. Don't hang on to me. I'm going to leave and you're going to tell people. What do we tell them? So this is my fifth appointment. And each appointment the first year has taught me something. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld said, pain is a real lesson rushing in all at once. And if you're paying attention, you won't experience that pain again because you've learned. When I went to my first churches, there were two churches of about 40 people in Seneca down the road. 
And the first year was all about me being a rookie. I didn't know anything. I'm talking about anything. And I'd grown up in church my entire life. But I was 22. I had a suit that sort of fit me. Right? Kind of like now. But I said to the people, wait, how do we do this? And they said, wait, how old are you? And I didn't know how to do a thousand things in the life of the United Methodist Church. And in that weakness, I learned that the thing I had to do was the thing I could do, which was to visit them. I had to go to the hospital. I had to go to their home. I had to, um, in the parking lot, lean on the bed of their truck and talk to them for some time, which was the creation of the dream of me one day leaning on the bed of my own truck and talking to someone which I now live out today. It's a 2004 Chevrolet Silverado. It's amazing. I love it. And if you ever want to lean on the bed of the truck and just talk, I'd be happy to do that as long as you want. I was to visit. I was to love. I was to say a little bit about Jesus, but primarily visit and love to overcome being a rookie. The second year, the second appointment was in 2004 and I went to John Wesley. It was in Charleston. It was a church about this size physically that had about 500 people and I realized I'd been the only person on staff really in those two churches. We now had a monster staff and it had different cogs and different wheels and some of those cogs worked out and some of those cogs didn't work out and they hadn't worked out in a long, long time. And the painful lesson I had to learn in the first year was the dynamics of a team are critically, critically important. I went to Mount Pleasant in 2007 and had a new church start that was about five years old. Every church I had served was getting younger. The church in Seneca was 1844. The church in Charleston was 1945. The church in Mount Pleasant was 2003. And they were getting smaller. And that church was sad deeply broken hearted, meeting in a school and all the stuff that they had, all these things that we have up here, would have to be unloaded out of a trailer and that trailer was stolen and they wondered if they should keep going on and of course like a um, doctor coming right out of residency, I was thinking, oh not only are we going to save this patient, this is going to be the healthiest patient that's ever lived after I've been here and I had to learn how to help them with a broken heart and rebuild their psyche and build a vision. That was a really important lesson in that first year. In 2011, I went to Greenville, to Buncombe Street, which was back to being an older church and an enormous church. It was the biggest church I've ever been a part of. And having struggled in some of the last aspects of the previous church, like being in a bad relationship and going into the next one, I was going to prove I can make this work. And I worked like a dog at Buncombe Street. And right about this time, I got pneumonia and was out for a month. And I learned, you've got to rest. You've got to work. But you've got to step away from it and breathe if you want to survive in the long term. So then I came here. And this is sermon number 40. And this Easter is pretty much the end of your first year. And the thing that's drastically different here as I've come here is um, the eight years in the new church start, all the families were in their 30s. No one really got sick. And at Buncombe Street, visiting people in the hospital and doing funerals was not part of my job. The pie is this big and my sliver was this big, even though I had tons to do. Here I've experienced a great deal of what you actually do if you have the whole pile of ministry, which is sickness and death. And I've experienced the death of one of my dear, dear friends in ministry who's only 41. And there's been times when it's inspired me to make the most of the window of time that I have. And there's been times when I've thought, how could another person be ill? And there's been times when I thought, could we please, please find some way to heal this individual because the family that is dealing with this has had enough. And then we come to this text. This text of resurrection. And it occurred to me in this week as I thought about um, the people that I've been um, honored to participate in their services at Woods and the people that I've gone to visit here that are sick and in traveling to Indianapolis to see my friend that sickness 
long-term illness and death have a little bit of power. A little bit. They have a window of time. And then they have no more say. And so what are we to do to go tell our brothers and sisters if we're not going to sit around here inside the sanctuary and inside our classrooms and talking to only people that we want to talk to? What are we going to declare to them? Christ is risen. And that has enormous implications for the kingdom of God both now and in the afterlife. It means that all those people who thought we're going to extinguish this ministry and this person who are defiling everything we've ever believed in in God were wrong. It means that Jesus, while he could have spent an amazing amount of time around the Sea of Galilee changing people's lives, did not stay there. He went to Jerusalem. And those people that surrounded him after that pain in Jerusalem did not stay there. They went somewhere else and told someone else. So I seriously doubt that you uh, at Greer State in the line uh, when you see someone who has a limited bank account will say, well, it's okay, Christ is risen. I seriously doubt you're going to say that to someone. I seriously doubt if you see someone being rude to a server at a restaurant that when they come to you and you say, don't worry, worry about it, Christ is risen. You're probably not going to do that either. But your general attitude, the way that you carry yourself, the way you reach out to others by listening, by exuding a positivity that's not just a goofy positivity, but an awareness that anything that harms us in this life has a tiny window. When people see your actions way before they ever hear your words, if they even hear your words, you will be proclaiming to them. The kingdom of God is here now. And the kingdom of God is to come. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Gracious God, we see ourselves in the disciples throughout the entire Gospels. We see ourselves struggling with wanting to be the best and struggling to pay attention. We see ourselves stepping back when people were so violent to you. But Lord, we see ourselves in your new covenant and in your disciples who reached out to start new churches that spread all over the world to Greer, South Carolina. Bless us in our journey this Easter season that we may declare you are risen by our actions and our words. Amen. Please stand as you're able for our final hymn, number 306.
go to our brothers and sisters and declare that Christ is risen by your prayers, by your words, by your actions. Go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.